Bigfoot's a hero in this fact Bigfoot does a few little things to help them out when Lucy I mean Lucy landed the helicopter in this godforsaken place because it's the only way she could really get in and get bodies out and when she gets back to the helicopter later when they're carrying the bodies there I won't give it away but it's very obvious that something was there first and actually did a few things to try to help them get out of there a little faster you know folded something up put it in a place and it's like what was that and I mean how does a drone that's 70 feet up in a tree end up down and then carry it over to the helicopter and put on the skid when there's nobody there well something was there and so Bigfoot I say it emphatically because I made a conscious decision when I started working on this book I would not do anything that's going to cause people to want to go out in the woods and hurt something like this because I'm a big animal lover and I'd like to think if I ran into Bigfoot you know that we would be nice to each other he's a little bigger than me so hopefully he won't, he won't get mad I'll say listen I was very nice to you in my book by unnatural death by Patricia Cornwell now at bigfootufo.com We know now that in the early years of the 20th century this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's Did the CIA write wind of change by the scorpions <laughs> <laughs> As humans busied themselves about the various concerns they were scrutinized and studied Dr. Loeb, what percentage chance do you give it that you have indeed uncovered extraterrestrial or non-human technology? With infinite complacence, people went about their affairs, yet across an immense ethereal gulf, intellects vast and unsympathetic drew their plans against us. Prior to your abduction, did you believe in UFOs or any sort of alien life form? all things unexplained so some of that i think there will say for close session hello everybody welcome to the all things unexplained podcast this is cj derringer i am joined by my co-hosts dr tim mounts and smitty neves and we have an epic show for you today we are so honored to be joined by the award-winning incredibly accomplished author patricia Cornwell. patricia thank you for joining us well hello it's great to be here Yes, it's so lovely to have you and it is so fitting that we have you on our show right now because you are releasing your new book which is called Unnatural Death and mm-hmm. I had the pleasure of delving into all of it. I read it in 4 days. I couldn't put it down. It was so good. Well, and as you. I was reading, I kept going, this is why she's coming on the All Things Unexplained podcast. So, let's talk a little bit about your past. You have created this incredible character, Kay Scarpetta, who is strong and determined. She is well respected as a medical examiner. She has all of these close characters who are tied into her. And over the past 33 years, if I'm not mistaken, you have now written 27 books surrounding this character. And if you took somebody out of the ether and plopped them on earth and gave them the case Scarpetta series, <laughs> they would have a really good idea of what has happened over the past 33 years in our country in terms of science, technology, mm-hmm. weaponry, what have you. How did you get from all of that to what is now the big twist in this book, potentially a Bigfoot sighting? Well, don't we love things that are unexplained? right yeah. and and you know listen i've always said 
that there's no such thing as magic and there's really no such thing as paranormal. It's just things that are not explained and, by, and we don't understand and science, you know, can be the guide. And as we're seeing with technology, there's a lot of things that can happen today that, you know, decades ago would have seemed supernatural, but they're not. So when you start with a subject like Bigfoot, first thing I'm going to do is look into why do anybody even be talking about Bigfoot? Where does this come from? So if you start digging in, then you find out that there was a creature that lived in Asia um, way back before the Ice Age, the, the Gigantopithecus, I can't pronounce the name, but basically means a giant ape. And they know from fossils that this thing existed, what we call Bigfoot today. They just didn't, it didn't exist in North America back then. But during the Ice Age, as the water levels came down because of the ice formation, the land bridges began to form between the continents, between, uh, between what would be like Siberia today and Alaska, for example, just a couple hundred miles that modern humans and possibly our Bigfoot friends uh, could have traversed and ended up in the northeast of this of America. And so why is it so hard to think that maybe there's a remnant of this? But the other interesting thing about Bigfoot is there are people who, who think that Bigfoot could also be something from another dimension and that dimensions can interface with ours. We don't really know what that means, but when we see ghosts, when we see even UFOs, when we see have Bigfoot sightings, and yet we can't really find some of the tangible evidence for these things necessarily. What is that telling us? Where are they from? So I thought, I said, I'm going to look into this and I'll tell you something. I would dare say I'm more likely to believe that Bigfoot exists than it, does, than it doesn't. After all I've looked into and the 911 calls I've listened to, the photographs I've seen, and just the fact that this is, and, and pictographs and things that go back over a thousand years that are on you know stone walls and inside caves that show a creature like this. So where's that coming from if it's not real? Yes, that's incredible. It sounds like you have done tons of research into, into Bigfoot and so much of what you have said we have heard here on our show from other Bigfoot experts. Is this because it has happened recently that Bigfoot is becoming very prevalent in our culture again, was that why you chose to incorporate that into this particular story? You know, it, not really. I, I, it's a funny thing. I'm not sure why I got interested in Bigfoot, except I, maybe he got interested in me like Jack the Ripper. I'm not sure who picks whom. Um, be careful what you look into because it's usually looking back and it might have looked at you first for that matter. So I, I, started, I started thinking about it and I started reading things about it. And then I thought, what would happen? If Scarpetta shows up at a crime scene out in the middle of nowhere, you know, uninhabited forest land that used to be gold mines, been abandoned for 200 years, and this footprint is inside an abandoned gold mine right where two bodies have been brutally, you know, where these two people have been brutally killed. And what would Scarpetta do? Well, the first thing she'd do is she would take it literally. You, 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 you treat it like any other evidence, that footprint. She doesn't necessarily believe that Bigfoot had anything to do with this. Uh, and, and actually, just I will give you a spoiler because I don't want anybody blaming Bigfoot for the things that people do. Um, Bigfoot was a witness. Bigfoot saw the whole thing. Trust me. He knows who did it. He knows. <laughs> you know, I did wonder at the start of it because 
like you said, the, the opening scenes, this double homicide is very brutal <laughs> and Bigfoot was involved. And I thought, oh gosh, what is that going to do for this entire community of Bigfoot lovers that believe Bigfoot is very patient and kind? Bigfoot's and- a hero in this fact. Bigfoot does a few little things to help them out. I mean, Lucy yeah. landed the helicopter in this godforsaken place because it's the only way she could really get in and get the body, the bodies out. And when she gets back to the helicopter later, when they're carrying the bodies there, I won't give it, give it away, but it's very obvious that something was there first and actually did a few things to try to help them get out of there a little faster. You know, folded something up, put it in a place, and it's like, what was that? And I mean, how does a drone that's 70 feet up in a tree end up down and then carry it over to the helicopter and put on the skid when there's nobody there? Yes. Well, something was there. And so Bigfoot, I say it emphatically because I made a conscious decision when I started working on this book. I would not do anything it's going to cause people to want to go out in the woods and hurt something like this because I'm a big animal lover and I'd like to think if I ran into Bigfoot you know that we would be nice to each other he's a little bigger than me so hopefully (laughs) won't get mad I'll say listen I was very nice to you in my book (laughs) yes gosh this is so much fun for me I am such an avid reader and I always think like oh what was the author thinking is that what they intended is that what they meant so to get these little inside details from you is so much fun (laughs) so thank you Okay, so we have, you've set the scene for this incredible story of of Scarpetta going back and the usual characters are there. How do you keep up with, and we'll get back to Bigfoot in just a second, but in this particular novel, you incorporate so many current events in terms of what's going on politically, in terms of weaponry that's being developed, in terms of AI that is happening and and malware that could happen between there. How do you keep up with it all? That's a big burden to continue to progress as society progresses as you write in your books. Actually, you know, I don't look at it as a burden because uh, I, I, I get so intrigued by, by things that are done because what if you've got a new technology, let's say robotics, for example, there are then I start thinking, what can I do with this in a creative way, especially if it mimics something else, so that you might think at a glance that, like you might think at a glance that Bigfoot did this to these people, but Scarpetta develops the trace evidence on the bodies and lots of other things. She realizes, and like what look like claw marks, those aren't claw marks, those are incisions because somebody's looking for something and this has to do with technology. And so that is what makes me happy, exciting. I want to be filled with wonder and I want to take a technology and turn it on its head. So at first it looks, it doesn't look at all like what's really going on. So you can, so you go, what the hell is this? And it's the same thing I'm gonna do in the one that I'm working on now, where it looks like something, you know, straight out of the news of all this UFO, and, oh my God, something really horrible happened. But as usual, there's gonna be an explanation because the Scarpetta always says, I'm always looking for a predator of the human variety because she's never really dealt with anything but except some animals that don't mean to get out of control like bears and other things. But animals, I mean, humans are the problem. Yeah, we sure are, aren't we? Okay, I have lots of other questions, but I'm gonna toss it to Smitty because I know he's got a few Bigfoot questions for you and we wanna stay with that for a moment. I love all things Bigfoot too, but how did you conduct your research for this book? I mean, were there certain things? Did you watch the Patterson-Gimlin film? Sure. I've looked at that just like everybody, and I've looked at so many things. Um, And then I would say that that I'm not going to watch these Animal Planet. Yeah, 
these animal planet shows and all these things. And next thing you know, five hours have gone by and I'm watching all of them because I can't stop. <laughs> same thing. Don't get me watching H and Aliens because I'll do the same thing. I can't stop. But one of the things I did too is I talked to, do you know who Jeff Meldrum is? Yes. Yeah. The professor. Yes. Right. And I talked to, he's like, you know, considered the world's foremost Bigfoot expert. I talked to him um, for about an hour. We did a Zoom because it wasn't possible to really do it in person. He, he's like out in the middle of nowhere. But I talked and he told me his experiences about being out camping and something, they heard something getting into one of the backpacks that was outside. Everybody was in their little tents and he heard some something going into his backpack, backpack and they went out and looked and the backpack it had straps with buckles and it had been unbuckled and opened, which a bear, you have to have hands to do that probably. And Jeff told me that they went back inside the tent and the thing, something started messing with the stuff again because there was food in it. And he was in his tent and he said he heard the thing moving by and it dragged its hand over the top of his tent as it went by. And he said, they know who I am. I said, it's a good thing you're nice. <laughs> I talked to him. I talked, you know, I talked to people that go to the Bigfoot festivals, you know, all aspects of it from the ludicrous to the really curious and interesting. Like when they find these footprints, when surveillance cameras will pick them up in a park. And if you know what you're looking at, when you start reading enough about this, you can understand why a footprint might not mean much to some people, but might mean a lot to someone else like a Jeff Meldrum who knows anatomy and can see what muscles were moving and which thing, you know, what the thing might have been looking over its shoulder when that footprint was left and to try to recreate the motion of the creature. So I, I didn't, what I didn't do is actually meet a Bigfoot because that's a little hard to orchestrate. <laughs> you didn't invite one over for dinner? <laughs> That was one of our questions. Have you ever had a Bigfoot experience? Well, I had I had one, something that was odd, and it wasn't that long ago. It was past, back this past spring. I'd already, this book was already done, and I was going to look at some caves in the mountains of, of the western part of Virginia for some research that I wanted to do for, the, for something else. And this was out in the middle of Nothingville, and you have to go up this tall hill to this old building where you would access this cavern. It was discovered before the Civil War. And there's still some of the names of Civil War soldiers that were written inside this cave. So we went up to see this thing. It got this big hill with sheer drop-offs and woods uh, either side, nothing there. And as we're going up the hill, there's some kind of crashing noise as if something's following us in the woods going up there. Sounded like a decent sized animal. So we go in and do our thing, and then about a half hour later, we're coming back down, and the same noise coming back down, following us to the bottom of the hill. And as we got there with this noise, all of a sudden, a stick sailed over out of the middle, out of nowhere, and landed right in front of us. And there was no stick, tree, nothing overhead. Something threw it at us. And I said, no. that might be a baby foot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was as big as a Bigfoot, but it wasn't a raccoon. <laughs> Those I don't know. They're always throwing things. And I know maybe it said, you know what? We're okay with the first book you did, but watch yourself, lady. <laughs> watch yourself. Did you find it difficult to meld forensic science and, and Sasquatch uh, into the same book? Was there any challenges to that? No. Is he, no, that was fun because there's you can get DNA. The bad person 
has reasons to have all kinds of strange things that might show up on a body. Right. And suffice it to say that, I mean, like if you got the DNA from a primate in a situation like this, you would start raising your eyebrows. There are things that you could, that you might be able to find. Certainly hair, fur. Then there are other things. I mean, when they're out in the woods, they hear wood knocking. You know, they hear some strange noises. And, um, you know, and I've heard recordings of these things, and you probably have too. And everybody talks about wood knocking, you know, something's beating on a tree with a stick, maybe in a rhythmic kind of way. And perhaps letting you know you're in a territory where you better mind your manners, that you're on someone's property. I mean, I had such a fun time with this and the footprint was fun. I had to figure out how you're going to cast it and what would it look like and and where would they keep it at the lab and, how, and the Secret Service doesn't want it, by the way. They're more than happy to let Scarpetta's lab. Oh, you go ahead and take that big footprint. Nah, we don't want to be talking about looking at a big footprint. No, no, no. You go ahead and do that. <laughs> Because that's a big problem is people look at you like you're foolish. Just like they do if you say that you you have have respect for unidentified anomalous Mm -hmm. or aerial phenomena, you know? And that even plays out between two of your characters in your book, where one says, well, you believe in UAPs and aliens. How could you not believe in Bigfoot? And and Lucy says, you know, well, we have evidence of one of those two. And then he gave all the evidence that you gave earlier. Well, well, that's, a, you know, it's a point, interesting point you make, because one of the challenges that I have with anything is it, how do the characters, how are they going to react to something? What's, what's Scarpetta going to say about Bigfoot? She would, she would simply be uh, bland about it. Uh, okay, well, let's one thing at a time. Let's look at the footprint. Let's look at trace evidence. Let's look at the injuries. And, and at the end of the day, she's going to say, nope, that Bigfoot didn't do that. Nope. Lucy is really skeptical. And of course, she's going to make some cracks about it. Marino's baby, he's all in. <laughs> Marino is all in for everything. Yes, love him <laughs> for that. <laughs> and he goes to Bigfoot festivals, you know, he loves all that stuff. Yeah. Well, and you talked so much about the pushback that he would receive if he was the one to announce this finding. And that seems to be really true just in general, in real life as well. People get a lot of pushback for believing in things or saying that they found something. It's why so many experiencers never share their experience for fear of being ridiculed. And that plays out a lot in this book of people telling him, slow your roll, stop. You can't go around saying these kinds of things. Well, that's one of the points that I wanted to make because Marino, Marino's a rough and tumble kind of guy. And he's, he's not, you know, he's, he's not some erudite scientist with a law degree. He's not Lucy who does artificial intelligence programming. Marino, and so Marino is, is sensitive about people thinking he's stupid. And he's anything but stupid. But, but he, and, and, and I take umbrage and huge exception about things like that just because Maybe somebody doesn't come from your same environment. How dare you call them stupid? And how dare you say that what they're saying is BS when you don't prove prove them wrong? If you prove them wrong, then okay. But you haven't done that either. So don't go around saying they're stupid. Maybe you're stupid for not looking into it at all. Yeah, so true. So, so true. I've learned a lot since doing this podcast just in terms of having an open mind and what might be real. There's so much stuff that... I mean, think how silly Star Trek was, the original show, which was before you were even a thought. Things that were in that show way back, when was it, the 60s, I guess. A lot of it is true now. 
and even more is going to be true. I mean, with quantum mechanics and quantum physics, they're showing that particles can be in two different places at the same time. Einstein said, basically, we only have time so everything doesn't happen all at once. We don't really know what, th- what me- anything means. We're just, but we should be trying to discover it as best we can. Yes, I chuckled while I was reading your book because you mentioned quantum computing that Lucy had been working on. And Tim, Dr. Mounts has been trying to get me to do an episode on quantum computing for so long. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not there. I can't understand what it is. It's really difficult. It's and, and, and listen, even people at NASA, that when I've had, I went to see the quantum computer at JPL in California, the NASA, uh, you know, where they do all the Mars stuff. It's an unbelievable fixture in a room. It looked like a gold chandelier about eight feet tall. That's their quantum computer. Of course, eventually they're going to be big enough to put in your watch, small enough to do that. But I was talking to them about it and they said, even we have a hard time trying to explain what it is. But if it helps a little bit, you know, it's got to do with sort of like, once again, dimension, like instead of something being two dimensional, it's more like three. So it becomes exponentially more. It's think of it as like, and also that particles can be can be, be waves. And I mean, the whole thing is, yeah, it's confusing, but it's very exciting. And I think it is a key to something very important about our existence. Oh yeah. That's big. Well, I think it, well, I think it is. And I think that if you combine quantum computing and artificial intelligence, then you're probably going to start seeing aircraft and spacecraft that are similar to these things zipping around out there that we can't identify because we're going to go to the next level. That's exciting. And that could explain, you know, why we basically hit a roadblock every time we tried to look into quantum computing. Because let me tell you, there's a lot of government secrecy out there and there's a lot of universities with quantum computing labs. But I dare you to try to look into it because most of the universities, they couldn't even tell us, well, where are these labs? What do they do? Who works there? <laughs> we don't know. China's way ahead doing their, they, they, they've created a quantum network. And that's the thing that we really want to do is creating a network. Um, because for example, if you have people living on the moon and lava tubes and the habitats up there that they're, that they're definitely planning on. And um, let's say you've got to do remote surgery up there. Okay. Well, that link must be perfect. You, whether it's you know a quantum link or whatever it is, it's it's got to the relay cannot be there cannot be a problem with it when you're doing open heart surgery on somebody remotely, and and they will be doing things like that. The the challenge what they've found with quantum networks is one thing that works really well are artificial diamonds, and they relay I guess the signal through these diamonds. And here's an interesting thing that seems poetic and metaphorical. The only way the diamond can capture the data is if it has a flaw in it. Without a flaw, it won't capture it, relaying it from one what node or whatever to the next. And I thought, isn't that kind of like humans? You know, sometimes it's the flaw in you that makes you capture something wonderful, whether it's being a poet or having a podcast. <laughs> you know, maybe you got to have a flaw. Oh, we've got those. <laughs> I got plenty of them too. I got plenty, got the plenty of under control. No, that was very poetic. Well, if you ever want to talk about quantum computing, you let me know. I'll, I'll, I'll get, I'll, I'll uh, look at my old notes again. I'd have to brush up on it. I almost understood it once. <laughs> well, that's closer than I've been then. <laughs> oh, exciting. Okay, Tim, did you have more Bigfoot questions? Well, it is interesting you brought up quantum entanglement because I always thought it was amazing how... When Einstein was looking into that, I thought he basically discovered himself touching on the paranormal. 
you know, you, you said the paranormal is really, Garpada would look at it as science, and he called it literally spooky action at a distance. Action from a distance. Yeah. It disturbed him. Have you discovered any links between Bigfoot and UFO while you were looking into this? Did you notice a lot of the same people involved in both phenomenon, for example? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, you'll see, you go to a, if you go to a Bigfoot festival, you're going to see t-shirts for sale that have, you know, the little green person arm in arm with Bigfoot. And here's what I have to say about it. You, you're probably, we're probably never going to meet either one of them until they know we aren't going to kill them. You know, when we can meet <clears throat> an extraterrestrial or an animal thought to be extinct that is seems supernatural to us until we can meet these and do it respectfully and not get our AR-15s or shotguns out, then they're wise to keep their distance uh, because there is definitely the, the people that believe uh, in Bigfoot, there's an awful lot of overlapping with the extra, the UFOs, UAPs. And I, I'm not surprised, even Jane Goodall, who said, I'm not going to say Bigfoot doesn't exist. And, and, you know, the famed anthropologist, um, and she said that, but what, it may be something spiritual that you're seeing. And maybe by spiritual, we're, once again, we're getting to this interdimensionality, like portals that, you know, this time of year when you get close, well, like when you get close to Halloween, for example, they say that's when the veils between the two mm. worlds are, are the thinnest. And if there are portals that dimensions bleed in i don't know we don't understand this but i'm intrigued by it well it's interesting you should bring that up you set this situation in some remote woods in northern virginia did you pick up in your research the day after halloween too yeah oh yeah that's right which by the way i was i was born on halloween so i think that's where i got oh that's, that's where my good connection you. came from thanks and you just tell everybody you're the treat not the trick <laughs> we're not so sure about that one uh, yeah i was thinking to say you don't know him very well <laughs> well my my kids think it's literally a holiday for my birthday so that's what they think they're dressing up trick-or-treat for my birthday that's so funny that's great <laughs> but did you notice in your research uh, any sort of location specificity with bigfoot sightings or other paranormal activity and do you you know being from the area or spending so much time in the area do you believe that there's some sort of interdimensional thinning of the veil situation happening in northern virginia i think that virginia itself is is an interesting environment and there's something there's there's some electric field some electromagnetic something if you ask me because for example when you get in the tidewater area where you have the biggest naval you know the biggest navy uh, uh what is what would you call it? The, the biggest naval base in the world is in norfolk and it's also the same area where john smith landed and started jamestown in 1607. it's also part of the bermuda triangle when you get out there but literally go to bermuda which is not that far off the coast of virginia and i've been scuba diving there I haven't disappeared yet, but it can happen. <laughs> a lot of sunken ships there. I've, I've done wreck diving out there in Bermuda, but, and then you have that right there in Alexandria in the cemetery there, you have where Werner von Braun, the, the father basically of the space program is buried. And there's been, there's stories that go back to, you know, Dwight Eisenhower's presidency about 
strange things happening in the Alexandria, Northern Virginia, like flying saucers landing and non-human, uh, not non-human beings being seen. Now, I don't know if any of this stuff is true, but I'm, I just know there's a lot of talk about it. And certainly when you get in very rural areas, uninhabited forest land, that's where you're more likely to be spotting some creature that might be living outside of the civilization that, you know, something that we don't really know is there, but maybe it is. And of course, we've heard of UFO sightings and forests and things like that too. So these days, the UAP stuff, you're, they're spotting them all over the place. Maybe there there's an explanation for it, but we're spotting a lot of things out there that people don't know what they are. And, and, the, and even the military doesn't know what they are. I'm not afraid of it, are you? Sometimes. You are? <laughs> Only since starting this show, to be honest, because we've met several people who are abductees of aliens and everybody always says it's those who are open to learning more about it who have the experiences. So I'm very conscious to let the universe know I'm not quite ready. I could use a vacation. Yeah. Well, maybe being a, well, I don't know. That'd be very strange to be, quote, abducted. I, I'm, not, I, I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of Bigfoot either. But I have to say, if, if I saw him in my yard, I probably would about have a heart attack. <laughs> so I hope he's nice. Hey, did you read my book? I was good to you. Don't hurt me. <laughs> I was good to you, yes. And, I, and if I actually saw a, a UFO, I mean, like a, 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 what was clearly some kind of ship, a spaceship, I know I wouldn't, I would be mesmerized, but I don't, I don't know if I'd be scared. I don't know. I just have, to, I don't, I don't feel whatever this is that it's here to hurt us. I think, I just don't. I, have you read, did you ever read the, 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 the white paper that Francis Crick wrote on directed panspermia in the 1970s? You know, he's the one who won the Nobel prize for DNA. He's the father of basically of everything Scarpetta does in her cases because of DNA right. for identification and all the rest. But bizarrely, Francis Crick wrote a paper with another scientist, I think it was 1973 or so, where he postulated that all life, that life on Earth was started by a spaceship that came down here and seeded the planet. And he bases this on the fact that the universality of the DNA on Earth had to have come from the same source. Now, this is the DNA maestro. Right. And that, and he, that is what he believed was the explanation for it. Um, some people would say that God is the explanation. Whatever your creator is, and there could be a creator that's in between us and God. If there's any possibility that there's something out there that has something to do with us, I would like to believe it explains the good in us and not the bad. Because there's some part of us that wants to be more highly evolved and better at everything. And that's a good aspiration. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And you know, that is one of the interesting mysteries about humans is that we seem to have this innate sense of good and morality. No matter what your religious background or uh, your background at all, you, all humans seem to have this built-in sense of morality, and that's very difficult to explain. And the... And the respect of life, you know, that so many people, especially these days more than they used to, have respect for animals and what, and to realize that there, they, there may be more to them than meets the eye, just like there is to us. And we're beginning to learn that when you look at the way these creatures act with each other that's so human-like, particularly primates, but even elephants and the way they treat their young and the way they bond to, to people. And if you imagine anything that created this, what, whether it's God or something else, 
Imagine how upsetting it would be if you made tigers and elephants and then people thought they'd go trophy hunting with after these creatures. It's a good thing if they if these it's a good thing I don't have a zap button because I'd be hitting it all the damn time. <laughs> well, I heard once that ninety nine percent of people are truly lovely. It's the, that one percent that are uh, scary, and you talk about them a lot in your books. <laughs> I'm that one percent. So yeah. I'm going to go back real quick before we jump into hot takes to your book, Unnatural Death. And I this came to me so many times as I was reading it because you are very good at writing the gore and the details, but also building suspense. And I would read this at night after I had done all of the things for the day and got my kids to bed. I'd be alone in a room and I could kind of feel tingles starting to develop on my arms. And suddenly I'm hearing noises around me and thinking, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen in this book? What's happening around me? I was scared more than once. And I just thought, how how do you do this and sleep later at night with all of these scary things that you create. Well, there's a really big difference. Um, supposedly, I'm in control of what's happening. Supposedly. My characters have different thoughts on that subject. They <laughs> laugh at me. She has no control. I mean, when I try for an hour to make Scarpetta walk across the room and she won't go. So I'm not sure. I have the forethought of what's going to happen, obviously. And so I'm not going to get as scared as somebody else would. And I try not to Yes, stuff is graphic because I, I, I describe it the way it's going to look. Yeah. And I know what it's going to look like. And Scarpetta knows what it's going to look like, obviously. The thing that I think helps is that because you're with her, you somehow know you're safe. And you're going to be okay as long as Scarpetta's right there next to you. And because it's told from her point of view, she's always yeah. there. And when she goes in the refrigerator and everything, she's right there with you, you know? Yeah. You might not know how good you are at building suspense because there were some suspenseful moments that I was waiting for something big to happen in this story. It was quite, quite good. So I thank you for sharing it with us. It was my pleasure. Let's dive into some hot takes. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I will say, Patricia, that I noticed on Twitter the other day you were visiting the grave of one of the Jack the Ripper victims, Mary Kelly. And I made the mistake of looking up more about Mary Kelly. It's going to take me a little while to unsee mm -hmm. some of the things. And I think your novels are like that too, but they really touch, they really get at you, you know, and it's something that you can't put down. I'm, I'm glad you looked it up because, you know, people, they've turned Jack the Ripper into, um, it's, it's a mystery. It's a parlor game. And he is the most, probably the most violent killer just about that I've ever seen. I, that picture you're talking about where, because he was an indoor crime scene, it's the only one that we know of. And it's the only picture of a crime scene that we have in the Ripper case. And he spent some time with that body. And I, I took, I, I actually have one of those original photographs because I, I have some Jack the Ripper stuff from all the years. Like right behind me, that's an original Jack the Ripper notice that, Oh, um, yeah. where I'm pointing that was posted in London in 1888. And there's only like about three of them in the world. That's one of them right there. The, the degree of violence that he showed towards his victims. I took that photograph and I showed it to my my forensic my pathologist friend, Dr. Fierro, who's the one who taught me everything long ago and still does. And I said, have you ever seen anything like this? And there's not much she's not seen. And she says, no, I've never seen anything like that because he practically he's just dissecting her and that was and i'm sorry that a lot more people don't read my book about him because i am convinced that about walter sickert and 
Right. And, and the crimes and the crimes are not they're not very 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 different from what people think. I mean, this guy was also killing children. I mean, it was not just five prostitutes like people say. Not at all. Mm-mm. I read it and it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Thank you. I'm a huge true crime fan. And of course, Jack the Ripper may have involved some major cover up on many different levels. And your books. Patricia, involve a lot of government secrecy and cover-ups. Is it possible we'll see you enter another level of cover-ups with the UFO phenomenon in a future project? Well, I think that we're, I think so. I think so. But you know what? Whenever there's a cover-up, my characters tend to go in there and uncover it real fast. <laughs> so I have a feeling we may see some things in that next book that some of you folks are going to like that are very validating to a lot of theories out there about there being certain things in existence and that we've known about some of this for a very long time and that people just haven't talked about it, perhaps because of causing a public panic or perhaps because politically it's not a distraction that somebody in power wants people to have. And then there's also religion. And if it's true what about the story about Jimmy Carter getting his briefing from the CIA and it was more than a perfunctory one about the UFO situation. And if it's true, when he heard more about it, he sobbed because yes. he didn't because he was very religious and it was hurtful to him to hear what some of the explanations might be whereas it didn't bother me at all i thought it was a sensible explanation maybe <laughs> just try to do something make so these people don't kill each other down there right you know right 10 commandments are a good thing if you want to keep peace and order so absolutely so I am go- I'm going to address all that. Yes, I am. That's wonderful. We would love to have you back. And I say President Carter was quite disturbed. Now, you, you said your characters really do love uncovering things. Do you think your characters or you would be up for government or military disclosure of UFOs? You know, if they say we have a UFO that we're currently going inside of right now, would you be up for that type of disclosure to the public? Absolutely. Yes, I think we should. Because it's nothing to be afraid of. If, if Listen, I mean, when I was growing up, you, there was nothing outside of our solar system. Now there's so many exoplanets and so many galaxies and so many everything that they just keep going and going and going. And if you look at the Drake equation or anything that would tell you the statistical probability of there being other life in this universe, the answer is absolutely. If you go to the Green Bank Telescope, which is constantly exploring everything out there and now it could tell you that um something is made out of formaldehyde out there because it's scanning nebula and galaxies and everything out there by the way is the same stuff we have here all the chemicals here like formaldehyde that must be where scarpetta's from the one that's made out of formaldehyde that's what i've decided she's she's an other a non-human and she came from there and um but we might behave better if we know who we are you know what what you know you know a friend of mine this may be apocryphal but a friend of mine a nasa friend of mine had a conversation with buzz aldrin a long time ago and he asked him basically about did he see anything out there especially when he was on the moon and supposedly buzz aldrin said to my friend we come from a glorious species wow has his cryptic comment now you can interpret that any way you want but that is how I view this, that we come from something glorious and we should be looking to find what that is so we can be more like it. I'm like George Sokolakis on Ancient Aliens. I'm going to interpret it as 
He's saying it was aliens. That's how <laughs> I'm going to, to interpret it. That's what he's saying. Well, I would love to get your hot take on the granddaddy of them all UFO, UAP cases. Roswell. A little incident, 1947. <laughs> yeah. Yes, ma'am. Roswell, New Mexico. What do you think happened out there? Mm, I'm very suspicious There's a, that, that that's not a weather balloon. Again, you know, if you hang out with the people I do, including death investigators in the military who've been around for decades, I've heard stories of one in particular who was involved with the military. And he told me about being out in the desert somewhere and he went in a hangar and he said, all I'm going to tell you is I saw stuff in there. And he said, and not like anything I've ever seen before. And he said, I can't talk about it, but it was not something from here. And so I've heard rumblings about this in the Roswell thing. I mean, I don't have any evidence about anything, but I think I have an open mind about it because listen, if you did the Jack the Ripper case, like I have and spent over 20 years on it, trust me, I know the theories that develop and the doubts that are out there that you know for a fact are not, are not doubt worthy. You've right. seen it, you know, but people just don't listen to you. So I think keep an open mind about everything. Maybe we'll find out the truth. Absolutely. And one last thing, and I'll throw it back to CJ to close us out, Patricia, Speaking of weather balloons, all right, your book actually brings up, your latest book, Unnatural Death, brings up the infamous spy balloon, the Chinese spy balloon. And in 2023, we've had spy balloons become a viral craze, and we literally shot three UFOs down over Super Bowl weekend that we still don't know anything else about. They even tried to blame one on a little kid's recreational balloon, and we debunked that, by the way. But... What's your hot take on all of this wacky stuff that's happening right now? Spy balloons, UFOs getting shot down, whistleblowers, you name it. Well, I think that the spy balloon, that we, we know when, when China's been involved in some, some things, and that would probably be an example of it. But I think other things, these Tic Tacs and whatever, orbs, these things that are out there that, and, and sometimes when they are, supposedly like shot down by you know the raptors out of langley air force base you know you're right we don't hear about it where's it where where this where's the recovered debris are you going to tell me really they didn't find it because i have that hard time believing that as important as it probably is and i think that this is my take on it it's not just that everybody's got a camera phone i think that we're seeing more of this because there's more of it and i think that we're on a precipice that if something doesn't happen fairly soon, this world could be destroyed. Just look at what's going on. And if whatever, if something made us, maybe it doesn't want us destroying ourselves. Maybe it doesn't want us to look like Mars. It doesn't take much to lose your atmosphere. And if we have a nuclear war, I think, you know, I, I think civilization on this planet could, could be gone. So uh, there's more of it for a reason. And I don't know why, but I take it as hopeful. It want, I feel like there's something out there that wants us to know it's there. They don't have to show themselves to us. They don't have to ever let us see a UFO or their, you know, whatever these things are, but we do. I've seen them. I don't know what it was. I've seen a few things that don't make any sense at all. I've got one on video of these orbs dancing in the moonlight in Cape Cod, Stacy and I at my bedroom. Oh, yes, I saw that. Yeah. And we, we, we were out there, what is this? And it was beautiful it was like they were playing tag and doing ballet it was but beautiful. there was no source of where these tra- these translucent orbs and it was i felt privileged to have gotten to see that it did not scare me at all and i thought if you're out there we 
please let us know. We don't, I'd like to have some neighbors. <laughs> I'd love to have neighbors. Just be nice. Be nicer than we are, at least, please. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of a privilege, it has been a privilege to have you with us on All Things Unexplained. Really quick before we let you go, where can everybody pick up their own copy? Well, when it, it will be out November 28th, and you can pick it up any place that books are sold. And you certainly can order it like off Amazon and all that too. Okay. And you have a new website, correct? PatriciaCornwell.com? Yes, we just, re, we just, you know, redid it. Redid. So it's a little bit more fun and animated. I don't have any pictures of Bigfoot on there, but if you have some good ones, you're welcome to send them to me. Ooh, that's exciting. I'm very fond of Mr. Bigfoot. Yes. Well, what a gift to get your insight on your book and all things that are happening in the world right now. We do hope that you will come back and join us again on our show. On behalf of myself and Smitty and Dr. Mounts, we thank you and we hope to have you again. Anytime. This has been so much fun. I don't usually get to talk about super cool stuff like this. <laughs> Good. Yay. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Like. Share. Follow. Comment. Subscribe. Support. What's your hot take on Travis Taylor? <laughs> I've got an exclusive for you guys if you okay. want it about yeah, the Alaska. We do. Okay, okay. More at BigfootUFO.com. All things unexplained. So some of that I think, sir, will save the post. By a natural death by Patricia Cornwell now at BigfootUFO.com.